Hi, this is Jamin Fraser, and you're listening to The Insecurity Project, solving the insecurity problem at a global level. This podcast is a mixture of interviews, coaching sessions, and personal development content. You'll hear me chat with experts, authors, speakers, and individuals who've gone on to do great things in their life as a result of working through their insecurity. You'll hear brave souls being willing to have a live coaching demonstration recorded where they work through their insecurity. And you'll hear 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance for me to deliver high-quality personal development content to help you on your journey. I hope you find it useful. Now on to today's show. Today, folks, Jamin Fraser here. This is the Insecurity Project podcast. I have the pleasure of interviewing Glenn Carlson today. Now, Glenn is the co-founder of Dent Global, which is a structured accelerator program producing entrepreneurs that stand out, scale up, and make a positive impact in the world. Uh, their program, Key Person of Influence, which I'm doing at the moment and is outstanding, uh, is acknowledged by Inc.com as one of the top personal branding conferences in the world. Uh, Glenn's company is in seven countries. Sorry, in the last seven years, they've expanded to five countries around the world. Uh, Glenn's been published in Inc.com, FinReview, Sky Business News, Entrepreneur.com, and is doing some amazing stuff. And uh, to be honest, he's one of the sharpest tools in the shed I've come across in a long time. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Glenn, but I'm real honoured to have you on the show today and uh, welcome. Thank you. Mate, super stoked stoked to to have a chat and, mate, I think what you're doing is important. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you. Well, as is my way with these interviews, diving straight in, uh, no mucking around, straight to the questions because... Uh, the listeners would love to understand your journey and how you've got to where you are today is, you know, I'm sure there's lots of insights you can share with us. So I'm always fascinated by where you started uh, because I think your childhood uh, and the impact your parents had specifically on your sense of self, um, I, I reckon that would be interesting to understand. It's, you know, we all grow up with parents and some parents do a great job at this stuff and some don't do such a great job. So what can you tell us about what it was like growing up in your family and the impact your parents had on your sense of self and your beliefs and confidence as a kid? Yeah, so I think, um, well, uh, well, A, my parents, I think, had a, had a great impact on, on shaping uh, who I have become. There was probably only one thing that I, that I took away that probably sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But for some context, um, uh, my dad was a shipwright in the Australian Navy. My mum was a hairdresser. They had me in their early 30s. Um, and my dad went to my mum's mum, so my nana, after a couple of years, so I might have been three, and basically said, I feel like something's missing in the world. That might have been his, mid- his midlife crisis, I guess. Um, okay. And he's like, it's not my family. It's not even work so much. Um, and my nana said to him, she said, and I've heard this story many times from many different ways, but I'll paraphrase. She said, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And my dad said, well, I would get my whole family enrolled and we'd sail around the world. I'd build a boat and we'd sail around the world for seven years. And she just kind of raised an eyebrow at him, and, and that was enough. Um, he went through the process of retiring from the Navy on a full pension, like he'd done his 25 years or whatever it was. Uh, he yeah. joined when he was like 15, built our yeah. boat, 
which is a 40-foot sloop, and we left when I was six and uh, got back when I was 14, so did a full circumnavigation uh, of of the planet. And so I had a an upbringing that was, I guess, quite different, a lot of freedom, a lot of autonomy. I did homeschooling, so you know, Australia's got a really good homeschooling system called distance education, so they'd send a, a box of books and homework materials to, like, the port office in Cairo and, you know, we'd pick it up from there and and kind of go on. And so on one hand, I had all this freedom and all this autonomy, um, diving on wrecks and climbing the pyramids and, like, doing mind <laughs> kind of bending stuff. But most people would yeah. go, oh, my God, like, what an amazing kind of upbringing because obviously I tell the story and, and that's, their, that's the default. On the flip side, yeah, it was quite sure. lonely. Right, it was quite yeah, it was right. quite a lonely experience. Uh, I had to be very good at, um, at being comfortable with my own with my own company. To to this day, um, I enjoy you know good amounts of time by myself, reading, just immersed in a uh, in a project. And when we when we got home, all of that kind of freedom disappeared because my parents while uh, they're amazing human beings, they're not wealth creators. They've never been wealth creators. And so they came back from uh, traveling the world and to put me through through high school, I came into to the second year of high school. So that's year nine up in Queensland, which is uh, we landed uh, in Maroochydaw. I went to school on the Sunshine Coast up in Maroochydaw. Yeah. And literally, my both of my parents had to go into hardcore work mode. My dad was spending 16-hour days working in the bilges of boats because that's what he knew, um, <laughs> just to try and you know cover our new costs. My mum, who's like the ultimate nester, nurturer, was trying to work as a real estate agent, which is just trying to put a <laughs> square peg in a round hole. You know, it was, and it was hard. It yeah. was really hard. It put a huge amount of pressure on their relationship. And a few years later, they ended up calling it quits. But I mean, it was after about 26 years of marriage, right? So it was a pretty good inning. Right. But in, in all of that, that pressure, I'll, I, I won't forget that feeling. It never felt good. And I kind of made the decision that I wanted to master this money thing because I saw, well, with the right energy and the right attitude, you can live a life of freedom and you can live a life of adventure uh, like a grotty yachty on a boat. Um, yeah. But if you wanted to in any way engage in um, you know, a first world economy with any kind of capability, you need to have the, needed to have the money thing sorted. And so young, like I'm talking... 16, 17, the kind of switch went off in my head that I'm going to listen to all the tapes and read all the books and do all the courses and, and try and master this, this sort of money thing. So I think um, uh, while my mum my and my dad gave me you know, a great foundation of you know, recognising the world was a very small place um, and that there was really nothing stopping me from doing whatever I wanted... Um, critical decision making, problem solving, all that kind of great stuff. Um, the thing that I decided I needed to go off and learn from my own was the resourcefulness around getting cashed up. Yeah, right. So, uh, amazing story. What do you think it taught you in terms of your own capacity to solve that problem? Did you have to 
work that out on your own, like build that own confidence? Or was that what your parents modeled to you, just this ability to go, if you have a problem and you find it important to solve, well, you just find a way to solve it. Yeah, no, and and that's very much from my dad. Well, you yeah. know, the lieutenant commander in the Navy, um, it's yeah. basically with with focus and and critical decision making, um, you can you know do whatever you want and you can solve yeah, any well, problem. I mean, the amount of shit that hit the fan on the boat, stuff breaking, blah 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 yeah, blah. Yeah. You know, there's there's just a very uh, a very high degree of focus, and I think. You know, for leadership, certainly in military, in in business, etc., like real leadership kind of evolved into that um, one point of focus, solve the problem, don't quit, no matter what kind of a vibe. And I think I learned a lot of that from from dad, especially. Yeah. Nice. So then, this natural sense of confidence emerged in you, and you were you were clear that you could go into the world and work out this funny stuff that was quite natural for you? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say confidence. I think that's a bit too okay. binary. Um, yeah, I think when you're a teenager or when you're early 20s, any confidence is, is pretty much bravado more than, than <laughs> confidence. You know, I think co- confidence yeah. comes from having a lot of experience in doing something. I was confident going out and going for a surf because I'd done that a lot. Um, yeah, sure. But I, I guess I didn't doubt my ability to eventually uh, well I guess I doubt, didn't doubt my ability to work it out enough that it would stop me moving forward you know I, I got out of home pretty early I started living with some flatmates I got a job I went to um, uh, I went I moved down to Melbourne working for a company learning how to sell you know that I wasn't I wasn't in any way kind of um, bound up in um, I guess doubt that I couldn't somehow work it out, um, but I didn't know how to do it at that point. Yeah, sure. Okay, so over the next years, in the process of making that work and, and really finding yourself, were there any particular stages where you felt like you were limited by fear or, or doubt or this insecurity and not feeling like you were good enough showed up in any way, or, or was that not? Uh, yeah, your most, most of the time. No, yeah, most right. of the time. <laughs> Right, like, and and this is this is, you know, and I think it. I don't know, maybe, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have enough of these conversations with with enough people, maybe. But my experience in life is this dichotomy of confident, will work it out, you know, trust the universe, trust myself, type of a thing, while being balanced with this, holy shit, what what if what if I'm not enough? What if I fail? Um, yeah. You know, uh, I don't call it, and it, it's probably just language and semantics. I don't call it insecurity, but definitely that I, that fear, that like what if scenario. A lot of it's sort of unconscious. Um, you know, no, that's pretty much always there to, to some degree or another. Because something that I realised was that if if well, if if I think about what I've learned on on my journey around the human brain and the evolution of the human brain, we've got three mm. parts of our brain. I've got a I've got a my brain stem, which is my kind of reptilian limbic system, which yeah. is uh, which is just trying to keep me alive. I've got my little monkey brain in there, um, and then I've got the, this kind of logical, creative neocortex part of my part of my brain now. What I know is that the two most dominant parts of my brain, the monkey and the reptile, they do not like change. They do not like the unknown. They like the certainty 
of being a caveman that never leaves his cave, that never leaves his immediate surroundings because he's worked out that that's safe. If he crosses the river and goes through the forest, well, I don't know what's there. That could expose me to risk. I don't want to expose me to risk because I want to survive. And so yeah. I'm just going to stay where I'm at. So what I know about our comfort zone, if you will, is that, you know, if, you don't, if I'm not feeling fear, it means I'm not stretching myself. I'm not pushing through the next forest. Um, you know, the moment that I start to feel comfortable and like there's no risk of failure, then I've stopped trying for something new or something different. And I guess I've always heeded the warnings and felt it for myself that yeah, any time that I stop growing, in fact, the times in my life that I have stopped growing are the times that I've felt most insecure, most inadequate. Um, hmm. Yeah, and, wow. uh, and most and most depressed. It's the times where I can identify progress, even small. Um, are, are there times where I feel that stuff sort of fades away, and I'm kind of I'm tracking towards something. So, yeah, I think um, it, it's it's interesting. My default has always been to to go through the forest and deal with the lions and the tigers and the bears as they as they come up, rather than just you know staying by the campfire, so to speak. Such an interesting insight because, you know, you're right, we all have this fear on some level and it's a natural part of, of being human. Um, but so many people don't uh, keep that growth thing at the front of their mind. And so they do let the monkey and the, the reptile brain control and they do let that sense of, right, we need to stay where it's safe, become the default rather than running through the forest. And so the, then the insecurity becomes magnified uh, so are, are there any things that you think have been particularly useful in keeping you running that default and keeping you stretching for growth uh, rather than yeah. locking yeah, down yeah, to yeah, what most people are doing? Oh, I, I, I would, right? Um, well, um, and look, I'm not trying to put myself up there as some sort of shining star of excellence, but... But one of the things that I found is I got rid of a lot of my old friends and I only surround myself with people who are, you know, pretty dedicated to A, a bit of self in, self-reflection um, and B, yeah, right. building something meaningful for them. So a community of inspired people. So in a couple of weeks, I'm, you know, climbing uh, Kilimanjaro with a group of about eight mates and we come from, you know, all, all walks of life. We've all got different businesses. We are all business owners. We are all dealing with those you know, unique opportunities and challenges, but we're also kind of thinkers and doers. Like we're, we're, you know, we want to we want to get the most out of life. And so, I find surrounding myself with those people. I have an accountability group that I meet with every month. I have a different accountability buddy that I speak to weekly. And and these are the sorts of you know things we discuss and, and we try and identify each other's blind spots. And that's part of the the conversation. So I think. Having that kind of let's call it an inspired group um, uh, around me because I think it was Jim Rohn that said you become the people you surround yourself with and I find that to be true. So that's probably one uh, one key uh, key yeah, idea. Yeah, just, just just on that. So you, like you mentioned when you were traveling around the world, that it was a particularly lonely experience. So I reckon there'd be some challenges transitioning from that diving back into high school 
and not oh. having really built those social skills necessarily. Uh, so, so I, so, so well, the, the, I, I actually had the snot kicked out of me at high school for about a year. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't that I didn't have the social skills, it's that I had the social right. skills of an adult, not of a kid. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, okay. And so I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was a bit of the odd one out. And um, right. I wasn't used, I wasn't used to the, uh, well, I guess the bullshit, the political dynamic that goes on with kids. I'd like it had never come across my paradigm, and I was in high school, and there were homies and rappers and surfers and skegs, <laughs> and these are apparently all different things. Then you had your skaters, and then your footy crew, and then your basketballers, and like they're all different freaking cliques, right? Yeah. And I'm just like, yo, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> like you know, and I try and kind of mimic their their jive and like that wouldn't work and and yeah so I, I got sort of targeted for oh, probably nine months um oh, yeah. fairly relentlessly by uh by two or three of the of the school bullies um but i think and and it's and it's interesting right because i i wonder I, I used to wonder you know could my dad with his background in the navy have prepared me more for that um and it's interesting because I spoke to him about that later and he, and he's like, yeah, but <laughs> like who would you have become if that was the case? Like at some point you just yeah. got to get your, get your face in it and grow through it. Like high school wasn't going to kill you. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was, it was designed to, to help you grow. So I just, to a large degree, let it happen to his credit. Oh, yeah. Um, when I, uh, when I came home with a black eye, he's like, uh, do you want to, do you want to learn how to fight? And I said, yep. So he took me to a class and, you know, yeah. I enrolled and, and started going through that kind of process because all of a sudden I'm now being attacked, which I'd never been before. Um, yeah, sure. You know, and, and my default was, all right, this is just another thing i got to kind of solve. Now, um, don't get mm. me wrong, at the time, all you want to be is popular and all the girls to like you and that, but that yep. just wasn't, that just wasn't my high school um, experience and um, I think what that ta taught me is um, you know the, there's a lot of people I'm just not going to get along with uh, but so so long as I can be to a large degree self-reliant I get to choose who I want to be around um, and if someone wants to exert their will upon me I need to have the, the capability to, to push back I suppose at some point which is what I learnt at at high school, and I've never had to use it again. Yeah, wow. So, so how early on did you establish this sense of, right, I'm going to choose good people in my world. I'm going to make sure that I surround myself with people that are adding value. Yeah. And did that start yeah, high school? Or that start to be honest, after? it was probably, yeah, to be honest, it was probably an evolution of about 10 or 15 years, like a slow yeah, yeah. evolution. Because yep. here's the issue, right? It's like, you know, the world, my my world at least, wasn't binary like that. It was a slow evolution, and I'd but but I'd I'd evolved through you know lots of different groups. So I'd leave the the kids at school, but then I'd click into a whole different group of people in Melbourne or in Sydney, and but then I'd you know go off on my way, and I'd evolve through that. And I think some people hold on because they're more scared of losing that community or that yeah, connection sure. or that significance that they get from other people, they're more scared of losing that than they are of kind of letting go of that vine and grabbing onto the next one and seeing where that takes you. Whereas I think what I learned from 
traveling around the world is that there's always another you know great person to meet or a great community to click in around the corner i mean i've got i've got um you know people that i know that are still in the same cliques that they were in in high school and it's just and and you know they're not they're not happy they're not fully expressing themselves in their life they're just you know, doing doing what everyone else was sort of doing, and that's just not me. I'm not, and I don't have any judgment around it. Um, everyone has yeah, the sure. ability to choose what they want to do, but but no, I'd say it was an evolution, mate. And you know, and I think it's an evolution that you, I constantly need to check in with. Like, are the people I'm surrounding myself with holding me big, and am I holding their them big? And if the answer becomes no, then you know you need to uh, you need to invite some new people into your life. Well, that's what I, that was my experience anyway. So yeah, it's a constant yeah, sure. process. Yeah, nice. Um, I love Covey's idea that everything's created twice. I don't know whether you're familiar with that quote of his. No. Uh, it's. I think it's his finest contribution to the personal development space, just that his observation is this universal law that every single thing has a first creation in the unseen world and then the second cre- creation is just a physical manifestation of what has already been created by design or by default. Um, oh, so yeah. he, he says most of them are not aware of everything. Well, sure. Yeah, you've got a house and it doesn't, like the bricks and mortar don't just get there out of nothing. There's a conceptualization in your mind. You visualize it, you picture it, then you draw it, then you create a plan. And then yeah. the building, the actual building is just the representation of what has already been created. And so, you know, a lot of the work that I do with people is helping them you know, become aware of this whole dynamic that's at play rather than being passive to it. Um, because often people are experiencing stuff show up in their world now and they think it's random or disconnected or they don't know where it came from or why it's there and therefore they don't know how to change it. So helping them observe the stories they're living out of and see that, you know, if you keep saying in this script, you will keep getting these results. That's the only thing that can happen. Um, If you want some different results, you've got to change the script and and do some first creation stuff. So, um, yes, I'm always fascinated by the stuff that's, that's worked for people and uh, and the stories they were living out of to get those results. Uh, like, you know, I've got friends the same who tell stories like uh, Friends for Life. That's a story that they live out of and that's the script that they run. And so that means if I have a friend at high school, that friend will be the friend that I am friends with uh, until I die. And that's, that's value for them. That's how they work. And cool, that, that makes sense to them. Um, I told a story that, I would never hold on tightly to people. I would enjoy them in the season and knowing that seasons come to an end and that people will fade in and out of my life, but I'll always have good people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, so I'm fascinated by the story that you were living out of that, was enab- that enabled you to have that uh, experience of kind of letting people go and knowing that there'd be someone great around the corner uh, and then eventually leading to this decision to surround yourself with high quality people as a priority to keep you at your best yeah and like to keep me at my best to keep me sane you know because i mean yeah you know that like i i i think about people like nelson mandela that were in jail alone for like 30 odd years with this intense such an intense force of personality that literally alone locked away um, massively opposed at scale and violently. Um, you know, I'm just not sure I'm that guy. 
Um, oh, yeah. like I, everyone, everyone would like to think that they could draw from some of these great heroes in the world and go, oh yeah, like I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not convinced. I'm, I'm really good when I'm surrounded with like really good people. Um, yeah, sure. surround me with really, surround me with bad people, and yeah, I'm not so, I'm not so good. I'm, I, I do well in a team. Okay, great. Uh, are there any other rituals or practices or stories that help you uh, continue to run the growth default rather than the comfort default? Uh, yeah, so one of the things that, again, I learned is that the monkey and the reptile, because they're always afraid and that's their default and that's what keeps us safe and that's what's helped us evolve and become, you know, has, has allowed humanity to get to where we are. So while they're they're awesome... They're, they're afraid and they are incredibly sophisticated excuse makers. See, the problem with the monkey reptile analogy is it implies they're dumb. Um, the <laughs> yeah, challenge sure. though is that the, the monkey and the reptile are in, immensely clever uh, at coming up with rationalizations and justifications for poor performance, right? That they're essentially very good at coming up with a good reason why they don't want to leave the warmth of the fireplace or the fire and, and go and cross the river and explore the unknown. Um, you know, and they'll, they'll use their family as an excuse. They'll use, you know, they don't have enough time as an excuse. They'll use age as an excuse or money as an excuse, etc. And so, yeah. um, a, a, an early mentor of mine taught me to just be aware of the excuses. Right, to recognize that those are not excuses of the creative, human, expansive, logical, you know, uh, part of who we are. Um, yeah, sure. All of those excuses are either coming from a monkey or a reptile. And so whenever, you, whenever I hear myself saying, I can't, or whenever myself imposing a self-limitation, um, I tend to reflect on that. I'll jot it down and I'll try and trace it back and go, what's that about? Is that true? Where did it come from? And I'll kind of use, you know, like, you know, meditation or whatever is the whole idea yeah. of self, self-observation. And so I will self-reflect on that. And the moment I'm self-reflecting, I'm out of my monkey reptile, I'm into my human brain and I get to kind of observe um, that excuse for what it is, which is a way to try and um, yeah, avoid fear or avoid having to yeah. confront that fear or expand that comfort zone. And, I, and I've found that just by having that awareness that, you know, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough money, there's too much going on, there's, you know, blah, 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 the team's this or the government's that or the economy's this, like I've had all these objections um, and all of these uh, excuses and rationalizations, and, and, you know, so do other people. Um, and so, again, that's why I like having a, a community around me. So usually I'm pretty good at picking up on it, but they can be, they can be really, they can be really kind of cheeky like that. So, I mean, we have a, a, a kind of a, a phrase, which is just, is that true? <laughs> um, so yep. the moment we explain why we can't do something, it's like, okay, cool, is that true? Um, and that forces the reflection. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Okay, is it? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, ah, fuck. Okay, no, it's not true. Uh, all right. And then all of a sudden I have to get uncomfortable and I have to get more resourceful and I have to examine my standards and I have to 
reprioritize my approach to time and I have to, you know, work. Um, So I I found that to be a a really powerful tool. Yeah, so monkey and and reptile brain left unobserved uh, are at their worst, but but just the act of observing them and having awareness either through your own kind of meditation practices or mindfulness practices or having a community of people who have that permission to challenge that when they see it, just that act alone, you know, changes the game dramatically is what you're saying. Yeah, to me, that's my 80-20 rule. Like the the one big personal development kind of, and I love personal development. I love that rabbit hole. I love spiritual development. I love exploring myself. You know, I love Aristotle's sort of phrase, um, uh, you know, no, uh, uh, an unexamined life is not worth living, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm into it. However, if I could instill um, one tool in my child, it would be the ability to self-reflect on, you know, the, the monkey reptile and, and the fear and just to recognize you've got three decision makers going on in your head at any one time a crazy reptile that only can think in the moment about survival-type needs, yep. a monkey that just wants to chase bright, shiny objects but doesn't really want to work too hard, loves the idea of passive income and all that kind of, just <laughs> like, just feed me while I lay here lollygagging on the beach kind of thing. Um, and then there's the human that wants to make a dent in the universe in the moment that you can recognise that um, I find that's the 80-20 rule in, in most growth. And it also lets me get some distance from the fear and the anxiety and the insecurity because it's not my fear, not my insecurity, not my anxiety. It's a relic of a prehistoric, you know, mammalian part of my brain. Um, you know, my, my, wow. my true neocortex is never afraid. It's never insecure. <laughs> um, it's just being run by a monkey sometimes <laughs> i'm glad we are recording that was profound that was wonderful uh, you know because i i mean i i've never said it that eloquently before but it's the same kind of experience in helping people kind of overcome insecurity is this ability to go observe it and when you do you discover it's not even real it's not you it's not it's this story you've been living out of it's this imagination it's this idea that you think is real and it's become real because it's gathered so much evidence and momentum but it's not real so true. Yeah, thank you I, for I, saying I that, find, that i i find that to be i find that to be true and i and i sometimes find going too deep into past like story and family dynamics and constellations like I, like there's all sorts of rabbit holes that i think we can go down um whereas yeah. to me the shortcut is it's just a monkey and like, because I, I think it's you could be brought up in the most challenging or the most lavish dynamic and still be messed up because the monkey by mm, default yeah. is just going to find find stuff to be freaked out about. So uh, yeah. so yeah, for me that sh- that shortcuts a lot of the the need for you know regression therapy type stuff. And it's like, okay. no, my monkey's just a psychotic, neurotic, insecure, emotional little muppet. And I'm just going to appreciate that. And every now and again, I'm just going to pat him and tell him it's all good. You've got me this far, but I've got it from here. Okay. Um, does, in your mind, does your monkey love you? 
Ah, so this is some stuff that's now going outside of my 80-20 rule. Um, <laughs> so, so outside of the 80-20 rule on me as a, as a dude that enjoys personal development and, and spiritual development, but it's not necessarily stuff I'd be like talking to my team about or embedding into our culture as opposed to yeah. monkey reptile brain is. Um, yeah, I've done a fair bit of work going um, back into my past and getting getting clear or getting complete with my my young inner child, my my little Glenn, six-year-old self, my angsty teenager, thirteen-year-old self, my adolescent, eighteen-year-old self, and um, it's 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 been like some really really weird um, and interesting kind of experiences going back in in a, med- in a guided meditation to to mm. kind of reconnect to some of these dynamics, and so um, you ask the monkey reptile, I don't think of it in those terms, but Immediately, I go back to um, you know little Glenn, and yeah. uh, and it, it used to be um, I didn't have a relationship with little little Glenn, but but now I do, and I find it's it's a good metaphor, it's a good uh, analogy for just a, a bit of it sounds lame, but a bit of self care, I guess, um, like being able to I, I have a meditation where I'm on the beach. And there's me and all of my different past selves and there's a future self as well. And we sit around and we go for a surf and sometimes we don't even have to say anything, but it's just this nice integration, yeah. I suppose, that it creates where my past, it gives me a, an experience of my past and my future kind of lining up. Um, so, yeah, I like, I think my monkey and my reptile are absolutely, have absolutely got my back yeah um based on their role and their role yeah okay yeah nice to to keep me safe like if a bunch of ninjas jump through the window right now i don't want my human brain to try and empathize with them i want my reptile to like knock them out so i can get my family to safety you know so no they've got my back they're just not effective in managing high order you know societal commercial problems excellent I, i love one of the biblical themes that there is no fear in love so those kind of two things are opposite uh so yeah. i've i've always found that useful to in in thinking about the different pastors me if i'm trying to kill them or hate them or destroy them or you know run away from them because they're bad I, I never found that useful um what i found most practical is yeah understanding their role their intention is protection and we only protect that which we value so there's there's love that drives that whole thing and if it's all love well then yeah you can sit on the beach with all those characters and integrate in and it's safe there is no fear in love so um yeah that's interesting that you have that spin on it yeah uh is there any reading you've done that you would recommend people do to kind of explore maybe even just the monkey lizards uh monkey reptile brain piece any books that are particularly useful in unpacking that? Um, the Chimp Paradox. Okay. I can't remember the guy's name. British fellow. He's a doctor or a PhD or a professor or something. Um, but he's the guy that sort of brought together all of the latest neuroscience around those three distinct parts of the brain. Um, okay. So, um, and it's like a cross between... Um, you know, an anthropologist, but looking at it from an anthropological point of view and from a uh, 
popular not popular psychology but um um you know positive psychology like how to use it yeah greatly um so that was pretty cool um i think um man's search for meaning i think is a pretty important book um by victor frankel yeah i think that's a pretty seminal piece on uh having you know you mentioned love. There's no fear in love. Um, I also believe that you know it's this idea that it's not the it's not the absence of fear, but it's having something more important than the fear. Mm. Um, you know, if if it's if it's if if like you say, we're trying to live a life with no fear. I don't think that's a reality that any human being no, sure. experiences unless they're psycho psycho psych, yeah yeah psychopath. So it's therefore then what is the thing that's going to call you through the forest, right? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, no, I'm scared of going through the forest, but all of a sudden your kids are in danger on the other side of the forest and you're going through the forest, right? So yeah, what is it? What, yeah. would, what, what, is the, what is the why? What is the purpose? What is the meaning that's going to cause you to lean into the discomfort of fear? And I think, um, you know, Victor's uh, kind of experience of, uh, I can't remember. I don't think it was Auschwitz, but but one of the camps, and you know how he yeah. survived when so many didn't, because he had that sense of meaning, and how he could find that in such an environment um, just allowed me to put all of my woes into perspective. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, there there you know there is yeah. There's just like compared to that, what you, like, you got nothing <laughs> to be afraid or, or afraid of, right? Um, yeah. So, so I think that's uh, that was a, a really powerful book. Um, I'd also say the Surrender Experiment um, okay. is a really great book as well. Again, forget the dude's name, but there's only one Surrender Experiment, um, and uh, that was a really profound kind of a, a book that essentially articulates that when you're spending more time in the human you know, observant, self-reflective part of the brain and less time in the monkey reptile, you can actually surrender to a flow and a force, you know, far bigger than the cognitive power of our brain. Like the, the cognitive power of our brain is so small compared to the subconscious part of the brain. But if the subconscious is being ruled by the monkey reptile, well, then we'll go around in circles. But the surrender experiment is kind of how to build the muscle of the of the observer of that very human part of our brain and then to kind of surrender into the uh, the unknown of being guided by it and that it has a far greater you know capacity for for processing i'm putting a very logical slant on it it's a very yeah, spiritual sure. book i suppose but um but that was very cool and the fact that you know he went from being this kind of meditative hippie to building a billion dollar business in the states from his little wood cabin out in the middle of i don't know wyoming or something was was kind of cool um but yeah the surrender experiment very cool okay excellent um all right is there anything else that we've missed anything else that you think could be useful to touch on in just in relation to you know this idea of moving forward, this growth default rather than the insecurity default or the comfort one? Yeah, I guess so. So, um, and I learned this from Tony Robbins, right, is that um, I put a lot of 
energy out into the world, right? I mean, I, I exist to be able to help people identify their mountain of value. Um, we help build them as key people of influence so they can really expand into the world and make a real impact, not just financially, not just for themselves, not just for their community, but and for their clients, but for the world. So I, so I pour out a lot of, of energy to be able to not just build my organization to do that. And, you know, we've got 45 team in 12 time zones. The sun doesn't set on my business. There's always something going wrong somewhere that I could, <laughs> uh, that I could, you know, choose to freak out about. Um, yeah. And, because I exude so much of that force out into the world, there's plenty of times where all I want to do and often do sit on the couch and watch a series of Netflix, right? And I used to feel so much guilt about that. Um, and one of the things I learned from Tony Robbins is that our, our happiness is based on our rules, right? And I had rules set up in my brain that if I wasn't working all the time, um, I wasn't okay, I wasn't enough. Um, and I changed those rules to so long as I was still on track for my purpose, so like so long as I wasn't ama- abandoning my why and my purpose, um, that was me living a successful life, which meant I could watch Netflix for a day and just have a chill out and not feel guilty about it. You know, I didn't have to be this kind of bullshit Facebook expression of like the awesome human that doesn't have down days and doesn't have like some days where they feel on fire and some days where they just feel totally flat and you can feel totally, sorry, maybe let me not point this at other people. I can feel totally flat, just a bit buggered, just a bit exhausted and that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. That just means that I'm, taking a break and I'm stepping out of the game it's like you know you don't see NBA players playing you know a, an NBA level basketball game 24 hours a day seven days a week right like they there's a time where they're training there's a time we're on the field and then there's a time when they're chilling out but we don't get to see a lot of the time where they're chilling out like Facebook doesn't yeah. show you when people are just doing nothing in their tracky yeah. pants, right? And and so I think um, for me, A, it was changing my rules. I think a lot of those rules were built by the conditioning of, you know, society and Facebook and movies and all this stuff, which is like, oh, wow, you know, it, like, you know, Elon Musk is always working. And it's like, I have no idea what Elon Musk does in his life. Like, you know, and to compare myself against that is just ridiculous. Um, so I think uh, me going a bit easier on myself and that it's okay to have moments of insecurity and fear and doubt and flat spots, um, and all of that is fine in the context of am I still making progress as slow or as fast as it may be um, towards my towards my purpose, and so long as the answer is yes, I'm good. That's so good. I'm just uh, preempting a question that I'm sure people are having as you're saying this. Um, how did you change your rules? Is there anything specifically that you did that enabled you to switch rule books from what was the default to now running that rule? Uh, well, yeah, I did date with Destiny with Tony Robbins. Um, you know, he's a, mach- <laughs> he's a machine. 
and he's built a six-day immersion experience designed to defrag all that kind of stuff. Um, but the actual exercise itself was pretty simple. Um, yeah. I, I wrote down, I wrote, he got me to write down what are, what are the six things that I'm subconsciously trying to get, go towards, what are the six things I'm sub- subconsciously trying to get away from, um, and uh, then what are, the, what are the things that I would need to experience to experience those things. So, for example, one of the things was success and achievement. That was something that I was wanting, and I was wanting yeah. that ever since I was a teenager with my parents, right? Um, and yet when I looked at the rules that I had in my head of what that needed to look like, I needed to have an exponentially growing J-curve business with hyper-liquidity and a brand like Nike that everybody knew and blah, 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 blah. And there was this whole giant list. And I was like, holy shit. So the way I had programmed myself is that I wouldn't ever be able to feel the feeling of success that I was searching for until I had all of those things. Not just one or two of them, but all of them. And it was like, whoa, those are some pretty hardcore rules. And and these aren't goals. These are rules to feel okay in the world, right? So it's like, you know, pretty full on. And then when I looked at, oh, okay, a fear of rejection, which is something I was going to have to get away from, um, one of the things that came up was, okay, what did I... What, so my rules for feeling the feeling of success and achievement were pretty impossible to achieve, um, or at least stopping me from experiencing it day to day. Whereas my rules around rejection were, oh, someone on my team pushes back against one of my ideas. <laughs> yeah, right? right. Which should be happening all the freaking time in a healthy business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah. so my, I'd set myself up with really difficult rules for to feel the feelings of success and victory and achievement but really easy rules to feel feelings of failure and insecurity and what have you. And so, I mean, there was just a bit of a process we went through to unpack it. And I think, again, the 80-20 rule is just the recognition of that was like, wow, I don't need any of that yeah. stuff. And I yeah. gave it the flip. Yeah, well, but, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so it's, so it's just really awareness, starts with awareness and then good old responsibility and choice. Yeah, always. Mm, okay. Always. Um uh, yeah, so grateful for this conversation and thank you for taking the time. And I know you said before that you're not holding yourself up as a, a bastion of excellence in all this, like you got it all perfect. But I do want to acknowledge the, the work that you've done in your own life and the life that you live and, and the impact that you're having. And, um, you know, every time I hear you speak, I'm, I'm impacted and I'm inspired and your, your sentence around go make a dent on the universe has been deeply impacting to me and you know part of why i'm really tracking with your program at the moment so thank you on behalf of the world for doing some great stuff and inspiring others to do great stuff and it's a real pleasure to uh, be connected with you at the moment to have you share really honestly uh, from your life for this podcast so thank you very much thanks so much for having me and again i think the work you're doing is uh is really great and it's really meaningful because it's uh it's some of the conversations that I think many, especially men, are kind of scared to have. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, because yeah. I think it, I think it signals, you know, a, uh, like a weakness or you know something like that, where where in fact I find the opposite is true. So, mate, I, I thank you for all your kind words. I take them on board. I feel them, um, and uh, you know, just to also acknowledge the the the, the really 
the, the only reason I wanted to come on the show is because I think the work you're doing is so important and not enough people are talking about it, mate. So, so well done for, for fanning the fire. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more about what you do? And, uh, yeah, where, where do you hang um, out the most on social? Uh, so the best best thing, if anyone wants to, like, really reach out, would probably just be to email me, planetdent.global. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff on Facebook from a content sharing, and, and I'll engage in the comments and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'll sometimes miss a message that comes through there, though. But if, if you want to see what's going on in the world of Dent, if someone goes to dent.global forward slash start, um, that's our website, Dent Global. It's all about creating an impact at scale. Uh, if you go to dent.global forward slash start, you'll be able to find a whole bunch of resources about how to stand out, scale up, become that key person of influence in your industry. Uh, and if you've got a bias towards wanting to be that person, so you can serve more, uh, so you can create more, and so you can contribute more. Um, you, you'll have found yourself a community of kindred spirits. So, uh, mate, if anyone wants to reach out, please do. That's the way to do. All right, wonderful. We'll end the conversation there. Thanks again, Glenn, and I'll uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, mate. Good on you. You've been listening to The Insecurity Project. If you're interested in finding out more about dealing with your own insecurity, check out the 30-day online Overcoming Insecurity Bootcamp. It combines high-quality frameworks with one-on-one coaching to help you eradicate the fear of not being good enough and give yourself permission to really flourish in life. For more information, check out jamonfraser.com.